And the title of my message tonight is Inside Out, The Heart is the Issue. Inside Out, The Heart is the Issue. We're doing a series at the moment called Religion Rehab. Religion Rehab. Religion is obsessed with the external. Religion is obsessed with the external. All the way through the Bible when you find Jesus in the Gospels having encounters with the Pharisees, with the religious people. They're always obsessed about the external. Jesus even commented, he said, on the outside, you look like whitewashed tombs. Are oh, you sparkling? He says, but on the inside, you're full of greed, extortion, corruption, and dead men's bones, and all kinds of depravity. He says, you'd clean the outside of the cup, Pharisee, hypocrite. But what about the inside? On the inside, you're full of all kind of defi- and he just go, he just opens a can on the religious. And it's very easy once you read it that Jesus isn't too fond of the religious. R- religion is is the fig leaves. Religion is is man covering fig, putting fig leaves on to try and make out like yeah, I, I'm I'm okay. When Jesus saw a fig tree with leaves but no fruit, he cursed it. He cursed it because he's not looking for, this thing was sucking nutrients to produce leaves. It was boasting that it's got something, just not for you. It was only looking after itself. There there was no figs on it. There was no fruit for other people on it. So Jesus cursed the fig tree. God wants you and I to bear fruit and fruit that remains. It's easy to, to, to fall into the trap of becoming just religious, going through the rituals, going through the motions. You know, we can sing hallelujah, but on the inside, be, be hating our brother and be full of all kinds of greed and lust and jealousy and envy and bitterness and resentment. But on the outside, greetings and salutations, brethren. Hallelujah. Blessed and highly favored. And we can go through all the religious stuff on the outside, but the heart is the issue. Life is lived from the inside out. Life is lived from the inside out. When you were created, you were created from the inside out. You were created in your mama's womb. You were created in a womb. That's where you were knit together. And even there, when you were knit together, you were created. You were fashioned from the inside out. It's it's the heart, the lungs, and the internal organs that are formed first. It's the skin, the fingernails, the eyebrows, the eyelashes that are formed last. You even, you're even formed from the inside out. When, when you came into this world, you came from the inside out. All of life continues to live from the inside out. Don't take my word for it. Let's go to, to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. We're going to read uh, two passages from 1 to 6. It says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many things, other things which they have received and hold, like, like the many other things, hang on, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? 
Now, somebody t tried to tell me that you shouldn't do name calling, that you, but I like Jesus. <laughs> I don't think it helps name calling. Well, and if you're more godly than Jesus, knock yourself out. And if that's you, please fly around the room. <laughs> I'll wait a moment. Okay, all right. So, the peop this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other things you do. He said, all too well you reject the commandments of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who curses his mother and father be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you may have received from me is Korob, and that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things as you do. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me everyone and understand there is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man for from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man and defile a man. Religion only deals with the outside because it knows it doesn't have the power to deal with the inside. That's why every, every religion is about conformity. You've got to conform to this ritual, to these rules to this dogma you've got to pray five times a day facing this east mecca you've got to wear this garment you've got to do this you've got to not do that you've got to eat this you've got to not eat that it's always about the external only christianity does the living word of god come like a seed into your heart and immediately you're born again now there's a dual nature you'll find that as soon as you're born again things that you used to do last week things that you didn't even think twice of last week all of a sudden man even as you try to do it, it's like man I feel guilty why do I feel this wash of guilt why do I feel it's because there's a dual nature there's the nature of Christ on the inside of you because you're now being born again you're, you're born again and there's this nature of Christ because life is lived from the inside out but religion is powerless it always deals with the outside it always wants to deal with the outside whereas Christ deals with the inside Bible says if any man be in Christ he's a new creation old things have passed away behold all things become new the day that you receive Jesus the old passes away religion says just try harder do better follow these things and you can produce righteousness you can attain the perfection of God it is a lie none of us can through our strength become perfect that's why the perfect had to die on a cross in exchange for the unrighteous, the righteous for the unrighteous. And on that cross, he took our sinfulness upon himself and he gave us his righteousness. So we have a right standing before God. It is a gift so none of us can boast. That's why the apostle Paul says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it was there that I was made right with God. It was there that I was made whole with God. It was there 
that I was made holy. Somebody say amen. In John chapter 3, Jesus has an encounter with Nicodemus. And he says, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. you got to be born again. Born again, you can't be born a Christian. I always get a little bit nervous when people say, I was always a Christian. At some point, you had to be born again. At some point, you had to realize I'm a sinner, separated from God by my sin, and Jesus Christ died on the cross to take away my sin. Lord Jesus, come into my... At some point, you had to be born again. You must be born again. You won't even be able to see or, or enter the kingdom of God until you're born again. Now, let me just kind of get into my points. I've got three points. These three, these three things flow from the inside out and literally determine your life. These three things. Number one, number one. Point number one is your mouth is a fruit producer. Number one, your mouth is a fruit producer. Proverbs 18 verse 21 says that death and life is in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life is in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, your mouth produces the fruit of your life. If you don't like your life, God's saying, I've given you the power to change your life. I've given you the power to change the fruit that you're eating. You can change it by changing what comes out of your mouth. If bitterness is coming out, if negativity is coming out, if hopelessness is coming out, if faithfulness, uh, faithlessness is coming whatever is coming out of your mouth determines the fruit that you... Death and life is in the power of the tongue. I actually find I don't have to do anything to default to death. I find negativity, I find, man, I'm such a klutz. Man, you know, comes naturally. I've got to put a guard over my mouth. I've got to put a guard over my mouth. Even Jesus says that, that, that on judgment day, we're going to be judged for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. In other words, you're saying, man, be, be careful what you say because it does have power. Your words have power. When Jesus came to the fig tree, he said, let no one ever eat fruit from you again. The Bible says when they came past the next day, they're like, Master, the fig tree you cursed has shriveled up from the roots. He didn't say, I curse you. He just said, let no one ever eat fruit from you again. How often do we say things? Man, San Diego, it's so expensive. Oh, you can't get a home in San Diego. It's too difficult. Oh, there's no jobs. There's no... How often do we say out of our mouths? Mm, so sure are you, <laughs> says the prophet Yoda. How often do we say things with our mouth and then unfortunately wonder why it's so difficult? Well, you prophesied it. You said it. Adam's first lesson was about his mouth. God said, it's not good that man should be alone. Therefore, I'll make a helper suitable for him. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So I used to think that the next verse read, so God put Adam asleep under a tree and took out a rib and formed the woman. But that wasn't it. Many, many years ago now, uh, when Leanne and I were in ministry, first in ministry in New Zealand, the, just the, the pressure of ministry... Pressure never produces weakness, it only exposes it. Pressure never produces dysfunction, just exposes where dysfunction is. Pressure never produces a fracture, it just shows where the fracture is. And there was so much dysfunction in me, in my husbandry, in my leadership. And I remember we had this incredible argument and 
and, uh, and I'd, I'd been so nasty, I'd been so cruel because I was a preacher, I felt like I could cut her down with my words. And, and I felt that was the only power tool that I had. My dad used to hit my mum and I knew that, I, I didn't want to put that one into to play. So this was the other one that I had and I could cut her down. And she'd had enough. And so she said, that's it, I'm done. I'm, this, is, this is not what I signed up for. I'm going to call the divorce attorney and, and that's it. I'm, I'm done. And so I'm like, oh gosh, I wasn't expecting that. And I'm like, right, that's it. I'm, I'm thinking, shoot, how do you one up a divorce attorney? I'm like, right, I'm gonna talk to God about you. He's the most high. Divorce attorney's here. God's like, Right up there. Don't be surprised if you break out in boils. You know, so I mean, it's just it's judgment. And so anyway, so I go for a walk. So I go for this walk and I'm walking around. And, uh, you know, you don't, you know, when you're having a, you know, prayer time with God, you don't start with throwing your wife under the bus. You don't start there. You segue your way into it. And so, so, so I'm like, hey, God, how you doing? Silly question. Silly question. Always good. How am I? Ooh, I'm glad you asked. Not great. You know, the woman you gave me. If, if it's the woman you gave me, you're <laughs> right now. And, uh, and so I'm like, you know, God, you know, you know, she's like a little bit cray cray at the moment. And uh, I said, between you and me, you know, I'm trying to throw her under the bus gently and, you know, exalt myself. I said, between you and me, just quietly, God, I think she's backslidden. Yeah. I can't remember the time I saw her having a quiet time, but anyway, you probably know better than me. And I'm, you know, I'm throwing her under the bus. And, and as clear as I've ever heard God, God said to me, Yerks, your wife is a product of your husbandry. What? Your wife is a product of your husbandry. Who is this? I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to be right. I'm like, come on, God, you're a boy. Be on the boys' team. Stop taking sides with her. Anyway, and so, so I said, what do you mean by that? And then he said to me, um, he said, what kind of a wife do you want? I'm like, oh, man, you had me going there. Um, oh, this is awesome. Oh, what kind of a wife do I want? Woo, little do-over. Um, uh, woo, don't make the same mistake twice. Ah. Uh, I want a princess. I want a princess. A beautiful princess. And then he's like, when was the last time you called her princess? <laughs> when she starts behaving like one. He says, it doesn't work that way. I said, what do you mean? He says, what will I do with Adam? I said, what do you mean? What did you do with Adam? When I gave him the wife, I said, oh, simple. I said, you, you said to Adam, it's not good. The man should be alone. I'll make a helper suitable. You put him asleep under a tree and you took out a rib and you made the woman and you brought her to Adam. He's like, wrong. I'm like, that's not wrong. I've read it many times. And God's like, no, no, you need to reread it. I said, God, if there's any book I don't need to reread, it's Genesis. Every year, Lord, you know, you know, January 1. I'm like, God, this year I'm reading the Bible from cover to cover. I'm going to do it. Pumped motivated this is the year from cover to cover i'm not stopping i said and then something happens in march every march 
those freaking Levitical laws. Kill me every time. Thou shalt not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. What kind of sick, twisted people do this? Thou shalt not eat anything with a cloven hoof. If that shoe, will you stop it? And so I'm like, I said, but God, if there's one book I've read every year, it's Genesis. And in Genesis, it says, it's not good the man should be alone. I make a helper. Next verse, you put him asleep under a tree. And goes like, wrong. I'm like, will you quit? It's not. He's like, right, I'll show you. Ah, wrong. You're going to, yeah, right. And so I go there, look, right. Oh, that's cheating. You just put that in there. And he's like, no, it was always in there. Do you know what it says? It says that God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Next verse doesn't say God puts him asleep and takes out a rib. The next verse says, so God brought all the animals to Adam to see what Adam would call them. And whatever Adam called them, that's what they became. The next verse says, then God put Adam asleep under a tree. And God said to me, Before I gave Adam the privilege of a spouse, I had to teach him the power of his mouth. And he said, Jürgen, I've watched you. You have called her stupid. You have called her insubordinate. You have called her rebellious. You have called her things that I can't even say in church. He says, you've called her all these names. If you sow that, why are you wanting to reap something else? Death and life is in the power of your tongue. I realized she was a product of the words that, you know, the Bible says this. The Bible says in in Ephesians 5.24, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying down his life for her. Watch this. Washing her in the water of the word of God. Up until that time, the, the denomination that I was a part of taught me that this was the sword of the spirit. Is it sold? the sound of the spirit you killed my father prepare to die like it was the sword and against the devil is the sword the problem is it's a sword against the devil but I was taking that sword and cutting her down I would I was so bad we would argue and I would open up to this is how bad it is I feel I actually feel quite like there's a therapy session happening right now I feel like you're my counselors I would open it up to Proverbs 31 after an argument and leave it on the kitchen table and sneak off. She'd come back in, you know, wanting to resolve the argument and go, well, well, why don't you just read the Bible? What about what the Bible says? Oh, look. It just happens to be open to Proverbs 31. Yeah, you might want to check that out. Just measure yourself. She rises while it is yet night. She considers a field and her husband safely trusts her. I was using the word as a sword. God says, that's not how it works with your spouse. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying down his life for her. Watch this. Washing her in the water of the word of God. 
He said, Jürgen, it's a sword against the devil, but it's a wash basin for your spouse. He says, you need to learn how to use, I've given you this weapon and you want to prophesy it and you want to speak it and you want to be an ambassador for it and you are wounding the one that I have given you to share your life with. If I can't trust you with her, I ain't trusting you with my bride. I want some speaking up, but Lord, I want to speak to the nations. I want to speak to stadiums. Because I ain't letting you anywhere near my bride. I'm watching you jacked up with your bride, misusing the word of God. And then I began to realize that my job was to take this and put it in my bride and whatever fears and whatever anxieties and whatever insecurities and whatever inhibitions, my job was to wash her in the water of the Word of God. Take the Word of God and wash. Take the Word of God and cleanse. Take the Word of God and say, hey, you don't need to fear. Your God is with you. He has exalted you. He has anointed you. He has blessed you. You are blessed and highly favored. You're blessed going in and you're blessed coming out. You're blessed in the country and blessed in the city blessed and highly favored are you amongst women you my sweetheart are like a vine growing in palace style sculpted like a princess so God hammers me he goes have you ever read Proverbs 31 I'm like no it's so depressing because of the deficit and he's like Do you, have you ever wondered how she got that awesome I'm like no I know she's right here this is years ago, baby. You are, you've exceeded. They should, they, they're about to write Proverbs 32 <laughs> on you. Because it's like, because Proverbs 31 is so 10 years ago, baby, compared to you. <laughs> I didn't do anything. It did for you, not for her. She is not impressed with those moves. Seriously. Every time we go to Arizona, she gets a little scorpion, puts it down the back. And all that, and she's not impressed. <laughs> she loves those little black ones all the time. And every time I wake up the next day, she's like, oh. no, she's not. Anyway, and, uh, but in Proverbs 31, it gets down to verse 28. And this woman is extraordinary. But in verse 28, it says, her children rise and call her blessed. I'm like, hang on, her children rise. I thought this was about how awesome this woman is, and it is. Her children rise and call her blessed, her husband also, which means that husband has created a culture in the home. Husband has created a culture, an atmosphere in the home that when mama walks in, pff, get on your feet and call her blessed. Because amazing what teenagers call mama. Before she was their mama, she was your wife. Some of the biggest challenges I had with my boys as they were going through the teenage years and disrespecting mama was to remind them that before she was your mama, she was my wife. And you don't talk to my wife like that. Your children sometimes will push the boundaries they want to know because one day they're going to have a wife and they need to see that, that you ought to fight and you ought to protect your wife. Her husband, he has created an atmosphere. He has created a culture. Her children rise and call her blessed, the husband also, because leadership is always modeling. Watch this. And then it goes deeper. Her husband also, and he praises her. He, he's already ahead of the kids. He praises her. He praises her. When you want to know the value of a home, you do an appraisal. Uh, 
what you appreciate goes up in value. The husband also, and he praises her. Every time you praise your wife, you're pouring water on the most beautiful flower. He praises her. Many daughters have done well. I'm not blind, I'm not stupid. There are many foxy Cleopatras in the world. But honey, you excel them all. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. I'm telling you, we'd have a whole lot less divorce if men just read the Bible and applied it to their life. Your mouth is a fruit producer. You can't sow negativity and reap a harvest of positivity. You can't sow iniquity and reap. You've you got to change what's coming out of your mouth. Make a decision today. I'm going to speak the Word of God. The most powerful thing you can load in your, your mouth is the Word of God. Three times Satan came against Jesus in the wilderness. Three times Jesus, it is written. It is written. It is written. The most powerful thing you can put in your mouth is the Word of God. Your mouth is a fruit producer. Somebody say amen. Number two, number two, your heart is an interpreter. Your heart is an interpreter. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. You don't hear God with your ears. You hear God with your heart. Your heart interprets. Pastor John was just speaking a moment ago about the man in the temple with the withered hand on the Sabbath. And the Bible says the, disciple, uh, the Pharisees were watching Jesus intently to see whether he would heal the man on the Sabbath. To see whether they were, he, Jesus would heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And Jesus says to the man, come and stand up here. And the guy comes walking down the front. Now they're watching. And Jesus says, tell me. On the Sabbath, is it lawful to do good or to do evil? And they're like, no one wanted to answer him. Like, oh. And the Bible says he was angry because of the hardness of their hearts. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the guy stretches out his hand and it becomes as whole as the other one. All the people marveled except the Pharisees. The Bible says the Pharisees went out immediately and sought how they might destroy him. Are you kidding? You've been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah to come. He is standing before you. He is doing miracles, but your hearts are so hard that you can't see what's in front of you. Listen to me. Your heart is an interpreter. How do I know that? Because one of my favorite things in this church is that, that people will often say this, oh, at C3, all they talk about is money. At C3, all they talk about is money. No, at C3, all you hear is what's tweaking your heart. Because your heart is an interpreter. The condition of your heart determines what you hear. If that's all you hear, are you kidding me? Five minutes of the service is spent on the offering. The rest, the worship, the preaching, the teaching. But all you hear, hmm, could there be a little heart issue going on right there? Because your heart is an interpreter. 
your heart is interpreting what your ears are hearing what your eyes are seeing let God deal with the issues of your heart come on somebody when God begins to deal with your heart you'll find that everything begins to shift can somebody say amen I'm going to move really quickly number three ah oh, time number three your soul is an engineer your soul is an engineer Proverbs 23 verse 7 as a man thinketh in his heart so is the man in 3 John verse 2, 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your, come on somebody, even as your soul prospers. In other words, he's saying, I'm praying that your external world reflects your internal world. As your soul prospers, you'll find your life will begin to prosper. You'll find everything will begin to prosper. Life is lived from the inside out. Your, your soul is the engineer of your life. It constructs your life. I know people, they, they, they lived with a mindset. And they thought that the reason they were losing was the geography. It was the geography. They would say, man, if I could just get out of South Auckland, bro. If I can just get out of here, things will be different in Sydney. And so they, 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 they relocate to Sydney only to find that wherever you go, there you are. 68% of second marriages end in divorce. You would think, man, if it's 50% of first marriages end in divorce, you would think by the second one they got some stuff right. But the problem is that it's a brand new person, same old you. Same dysfunctions, same lame attitude. So 68% of second marriages, higher than first marriages, end in divorce because we didn't learn anything the first time. The issue is wherever you go, there you are. What I love about the house of God. What I love about the Word of God. Listen, two magnificent things happen when you read the Bible. The first one when you read the Bible is you see God. The second one, and it's right up there with it, so important, is when you read the Bible, you see you. As you begin to, the Bible says the Word of God is like a mirror. You ought to see you. I see me all the time. Sometimes I see me in Samson's temptations. Sometimes I see me in Saul's, Saul's insecurity, threatened by other ministries and other people, the Davids, the ones that God is raising up to slay giants that the people are singing about on social media. And I find the Saul on the inside of me rising up. And we're going to continue to deal with it. But I found that I want to see that because I want to correct that. Because then I also see him in the, see myself in the Psalms. I see me in the Psalms as a David in a wilderness where at the moment I'm in a season of injustice, but I know that my God is a, a God of breakthrough. I see myself in a wilderness crying out for God, for the living God. I see myself in a place where if my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. When you begin to read the scripture, you'll see God. But the most beautiful thing is when you begin to see yourself in the pages. And this is so important because God wants to adjust your soul. Because He knows that your external world is a reproduction and a manifestation of your internal world. And there's nothing else that deals with the inside like the Word of God. King David said this, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Psalm 119 verse 11. 
So you find that as you get the Word of God and begin to plant it in your heart, it'll begin to produce kingdom fruit out of your life. I've seen in, in my life where we're in, in, uh, in, in a place where there was a, a guy who was living in, in a home and it was, it was a hovel. That's the only way I could explain it. And he got a job transfer to not just a different state, but to a different nation. And, and the CEO of that company helped him buy a mansion. He literally went from like a 2,000 square foot home to an 8,000 square foot home in the most stunning community. The, 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 the kitchen was as big as his lounge and kitchen in his previous home. And I remember seeing this home thinking, my God, wow. Six months later, the mansion looked like the hovel that he came out of. Like, there were the only street, house on the street with brown grass. There was trash everywhere it was disheveled they gave him a brand new home but an old mindset poverty mindset nothing changes on the outside till something changes on the inside listen don't accept don't settle for religion religion is obsessed with the outside only God will teach you that your mouth is a fruit producer that your heart is an interpreter and that your soul is the engineer engineering your life. Jesus comes in heart, mind, and soul. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. God comes into the inside and begins to change things on the inside. Now listen to me. If you're always comfortable in church, you're in the wrong church. You're in the wrong church. You need to be in a church where sometimes you're like, oh man! can't believe that God oh, I did it again like you need to get tweaked in church because before truth liberates it has to penetrate before the truth can liberate you it has to penetrate I can't tell you how many times heard the word of God cut to the heart heard the preaching cut to the heart how many times but I'm telling you the marriage I have to this beautiful princess today isn't because I figured something out it's because I came with a contrite posture to the Word of God, saying, Father, I will always yield. I will always submit to the authority of the Word of God. I won't try and elevate myself and say, I'm right, I know better. If the Word challenges me, then the Word, the Word has carte blanche to have the final say, the final voice in my life. Where's the Word of God? What position does it hold in your life? I'm telling you, there is nothing like it. There is nothing like it. I was sharing with somebody the other day as I come to a close. The truth is, you can put everybody on this planet into two categories. When Jesus comes back, He separates sheep from the goats. So simple. How do you know? How do you know? It's really simple. The whole mess on planet Earth is because group A lives in the, has God really said? And then there's another group that has received the Word of God made it Lord in their life the word became flesh and dwelt among us when God wanted to save the world he sent his word it was the same word that when everything was dark and God wanted to turn the lights on he sent the word let there be light the lights came on 
When God wanted to create the, the universe, He said, let there be. And there was. God's Word. God's Word goes out. God's Word tonight is looking for a landing spot. It's looking for a resting place. It's looking for a dwelling place. Will you reject it? Or you, will you receive it? Jesus is the Word. But i got to tell you, 33 years ago on a beach, the son of an East German atheist on a beach through a Christian surface outreach received the Word of God into his heart, into his life. Everything changed. The life I have today, sometimes i got to pinch myself because I live with me. I know me. I'm like, any minute now I'm going to wake up and this is all been a dream. And then I wake up and it's not. I'm married to the most beautiful woman on planet Earth. I have the most extraordinary children, the most extraordinary friends, the most extraordinary team, in the most extraordinary city, with the most extraordinary church, with the most extraordinary people, with the most extraordinary... And I'm like, dear Jesus, how did that... It's the Word of God. And God has... God shows no partiality. I was almost going to say God has no favourites. He does. Now He, he claims... Oh, He claims in here, I do not have any favourites. Really? Oh, really? Uh, let's examine that. Abraham, favorite. <laughs> Moses, favorite. Joshua, favorite. Jacob, favorite. David, favorite. You got favorites all the way through here. What are you? But the truth is, God does not lie. God Himself choosing does not choose favorites. Yet He has them. But He doesn't choose them, yet He has them. So if he didn't choose them, how does he have favorites? The Holy Spirit. How many people thank God for the Holy Spirit? Do you know the Holy Spirit's your helper? Do you know Jesus sent him and said, he's going to lead you into all truth. I love the Holy Spirit. I'm like, Holy Spirit, enigma. There's an enigma here. There's a dilemma. God doesn't choose favorites yet. It's obvious he has them and the Holy Ghost, yeah, he's got them. I'm like, yeah, but he hasn't chosen them. No, he didn't choose them. Well, how's he got them? And the Holy Spirit said, I'll tell you. What? Did you hear it? God doesn't choose favorites, but He has favorites. The Holy Spirit said to me, God doesn't choose favorites, He has them. Because men choose to become intimates. It says that when they become intimate, his favor comes upon them and they become his favorites. He says, The one common denominator with every single one of those people you mentioned, there was obvious that they were a favorite of God. Before they became a favorite, they became an intimate. Abraham walked with God, Moses walked with God in the wilderness. He brought the flock to Horeb, the mountain of God, because he was hungry and thirsty in the wilderness. David built a tabernacle. Do you know in David's day, the only way you could get into the presence of God was to be a high priest. And you could only go into the presence of God once a year, and you had to take the blood of a lamb, one year old, without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle, and, and, and spread it on the mercy seat and have bells on, just in case your life wasn't right, because you'd be struck dead and someone have to pull you out. But David took that ark, and he put it, and he built a tent around it, and he knew that God longed to be worshipped by men so he set up worship 24 7 
24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And then the Bible says that David would sit in that tent and just behold the glory of the Lord and sit in the presence of God. And God says, man, the, the one tabernacle that's going to remain forever is the tabernacle of David. David found a whole new way. The favor of God. The Bible says that while David was king, God gave him rest from all his enemies around about. There was something about David because he was an intimate. He became a favorite. Can I tell you, he's the same God. He is the same God. Why do you think we're so passionate about worship? Because I know this, if you'll become an intimate, you'll find yourself walking in favor. God doesn't love me more than He loves you. But can I tell you, God loves people that step out of the busyness, step out of the fray and become an intimate with God. They don't just go through the motions on a Sunday. They connect with the living God. You'll find His favor will come upon you. And there's a beautiful saying, favor ain't fair. Just ask John and Becky, favor ain't fair. You don't need to apologize for the blessing. Just say, hey, favor ain't fair. You can have the same thing. Just become an intimate and you'll become a favorite. Amen. Come on, give God a great shout. We're out of time. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 